We'll be reading from the whole chapter 5 of Galatians this morning. Please rise and join me. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? If, in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature, its passions and desires, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. Well, good morning. Oh, that was weak. Is it really a good morning? Good morning. morning. Excellent. Much better. Much better. We have the word open before us, Galatians 5. We're going to be looking primarily at 16 through 20. Six this morning, uh, tying in a few verses maybe prior to our beginning point of 16 to give us some context. Uh, Walking in formation in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's 
where we're going. I believe that's what the text is teaching us this morning. So um, let's ask God to teach us this morning from his word and that we would have ears to hear what he has to teach us. Let's pray. Now the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God be honor and glory forever. To him who is able to keep our feet from stumbling and to present us faultless before your presence with exceeding joy. To God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forevermore. The depth of your riches, both of your wisdom and knowledge. The word speaks of how unsearchable your judgments are and your ways past finding out. We thank you, God, this morning for blessing us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We thank you for your goodness to us. And as we prepare once again to open and study your word, we ask that you would speak and grant us ears to hear what you have to say. We agree with the psalmist who says, your spirit is good. And we thank you, Lord, for loving us and showing your love toward us by pouring out the Holy Spirit into our hearts. So, Father, we give this time to you and ask, Lord, that you would make of it what you would desire, that as your word goes forth, you would allow it to accomplish its purpose in each one of our lives here today. Pray that we would walk together in the spirit as you've called us to do so. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Two particular passages of scripture that I'd like to begin with, and they're both found in Galatians. I'd like to immediately draw your attention to them. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, and Galatians 6, verse 15, they begin almost in an identical fashion. But I believe these two verses are key in large part to the whole of the letter and what Paul is addressing For in Christ Jesus, that's the key phrase, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love, that's Galatians 5 verse 6. Galatians 6.15 starts in the same manner, for In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Faith working through love, a new creation. These avail much in Christ Jesus. And yet it seems that they're absent in large measure within the context of the church. Instead of Jewish circumcision, the issues today might be worship music styles, denominational framework, 
leadership structure, even the purpose for gathering seems to be bannered around as though it were up for grabs on how we should be spending our time together as a body. For the churches in Galatia, the issues that keep coming to the surface are circumcision and the law. Externals. A reverting back to the things that once held them in bondage. A new gospel was spreading. And as we see in the first chapter, it really was no gospel at all. But this word was promoting a message that countered the truth in Jesus Christ. We need to understand something in the context of this letter. That this truth was preached by Paul when he was in their midst. A message once heard, once received, but now another word has been circulating. And the gospel truth is taking a back seat to what seems to be the loudest voice in the moment. Paul is addressing this letter to the churches in Galatia. And if you notice, if you read through the entirety of the letter this week, you note that he spends no time at all getting to the point. I mean, we don't see in, in the book of Galatians words like, I've been praying for you and praise to God and up front, as is the pattern in some of his other letters. No, what we see immediately is, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Verses 6 and 7 reads, chapter 1. That's how he begins. Something has happened to the churches in Galatia in a relatively short period of time. Have you ever been a part of something, perhaps in your own home, when you've established something, you, you've talked about something, you, you've said this is the way it's going to be, and in a relatively short period of time, things end up going back to where they once were. That's really, in large part, the context of Galatians. Paul had preached the gospel, the truth. And now he's writing to address the fact that many seem to be turning away from that gospel truth. Having once received the truth of the gospel through hearing of faith, the churches have been swayed to walk in the flesh. The truth has been set aside for Jewish circumcision and fleshly ordinances. And Paul is making clear that they are foolish for walking this way. He's not accepting it. He's not saying it's okay. He's calling them foolish for operating this way. Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 and 3 Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify that every man who becomes circumcised 
that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Anyone keep the whole law? Paul says, are you justified? Have you forgotten that you're not justified by the works of the law? And he reminds them of their calling. In chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. And I love what he does next. Sort of like what he does in the book of Romans after he states something that's fact. He follows it up with something like, as it is written. And he gives evidence here on verse 14 of what he just talked about. For all the laws fulfilled in one word. Even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware. Open your eyes to see, beware. Lest you be consumed by one another. Now Paul is writing aware of some who are perverting the truth in the churches. And he says in verse 7 of chapter 5, he says, you ran well. There was a period of time when you were running this race. Good job. But notice what he immediately follows that up with. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who kept you from continuing to walk in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Friends, this is so instructive for us today, just as a pause and an aside. Some of you have run well. There was a time in the past when you were running well with the Lord. You were running the race set before you. But as you sit here today, perhaps you're no longer running that race well. And I would ask you the question that Paul's asking the church in Galatia. Who's hindered you from obeying the gospel? Maybe it's not a who, maybe it's a what. See, someone or something spoken, we call them influencers, of a different kind are beginning to have their way. Listen, here's where they're beginning to have their way in the church. And the truth of the gospel that was once obeyed as Paul preached it, it's now been perverted. Circumcision and the outward trappings of Jewish law have gathered momentum in these churches in Galatia. And Paul is writing to rebuke and correct. Remember, the word of God is profitable for rebuking, for correcting. We see it right here. And to interject his voice... Once again, for the cause of the gospel truth grounded in Jesus. Listen, we need advocates even yet today for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need people opening up their mouths and speaking on behalf of the truth of Jesus even still today. When people are going astray and chasing the American dream of their own making, the body of Christ is needed to be an advocate for the truth of the gospel. When brothers and sisters are going astray from the truth of the scriptures, they need to hear a voice calling them back to the truth. 
If they have Christ in them, the Spirit will convict them of their ways. That's one of his ministries and roles in our lives in Christ. But as a connected part of the body, it's also incumbent upon the other parts to exhort when necessary, when needed. Even so much more as we read in Hebrews as the day approaches, right? We need each other and we all need to have God's word of truth washing over us on a regular basis. And as we read the context leading up to Galatians 5.16... It seems that serving one another has taken a back seat in the church. Of all places. In the church. Having been called to liberty, they are instructed not to use it as an opportunity for the flesh. But instead to serve one another through love. Now the reminder or the evidence given from the scripture there in verse 14 comes from that second great commandment, remember? Not only love God, but love your neighbor as yourself. And what comes in in verse 15 seems to be a warning, a warning that addresses a current problem. If you keep on biting and devouring one another as you currently are, remember we've talked about this before with warnings. Why is it that warnings are issued? Warnings need to be issued Oftentimes, not just to be putting a warning out there. Warnings are issued because people are already doing some things they ought not be doing. If you keep on biting and devouring one another, then we get to the warning. Here's where this leads, church. Lest you be consumed by one another. So he says, keep on biting and devouring one another. And the end result is a church that consumes, listen, a church that consumes one another. You know, we've talked a lot about persecutions and trials that come from the outside. But what a tragic picture is painted here. A church that consumes herself. Nitpicking, arguing, complaining, projecting one's own likes and dislikes on another, bitterness, gossip. Consider the assembly that just fades off the map because of, listen, because of infighting. That's the picture here. Paul preached the gospel truth to these churches in Galatia. They heard the gospel. They were obeying the truth. And then an alternative voice comes on the scene. And and perhaps another alternative voice. And they start popping in. And the church turns their ear to the voice of the moment. The church exchanges the truth of the gospel for the lie... And is now on course to reap the results of life in the flesh. But it doesn't have to be so. Paul is writing to help the church in Galatia right the ship. Hey, it ought not be this way. 
He's not writing to pat them on the back, but to correct the error of their thinking. He's calling them back to the gospel to remember the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives as a follower of Christ. We've talked about freedom in Christ. Some of that's tied in here to the text, especially in chapter 5 as a whole. We talked last week about the importance of the pattern in our lives. Of scripture, how important the scripture is. And this week we see the significance of the power of the Holy Spirit. In us, yes, as an individual, yes, it's true. But I believe he, he gets to, at the end of chapter 5, the significance not just in the individual, but maybe even more significantly important, in the life of the church. Corporately. That we as a church are walking in the Spirit together. Faith working through love is what matters. Stop biting and devouring one another. Are you going to profane the Lord? It's almost as though Paul is, is putting an epitaph out there for the church to look at and think about. Do you want to be the church that has the sign that says this is the church that consumed herself? That's what he's putting out there for him. This is where it leads. Galatians 5.16 begins with a charge. I love this charge. It's the focus, I believe, of the whole passage, the rest of the passage. A charge to walk in the Spirit. You know, he says in the first few words, I say then. After he set the context here, I, I say then. What he's about to say is pretty significant. He's exhorting them. This is an imperative. This is not an option. This is what you ought to be doing, he says. Walk in the Spirit. The word walk here references our manner of living. It's used in a lot of places in the Scripture. Interchangeable with living our life. Walk or live. This is the way you ought to live. You walk this out. Walk in the Spirit. And in the present tense, a habitual action is being called for here. Walk in this way. Walk in the Holy Spirit. Keep on walking in the Holy Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust or the desire of the flesh. And the flesh is also an interesting word in the book of Galatians. Paul uses that word on many occasions. I'd like to give you just a few Ways that word is used. I think it's helpful for our understanding. I'll give you a couple, two or three ways. We see flesh in terms of just the physical body or the person. Galatians 1.16. Paul talks about, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. Okay. Galatians 2.16. He says, by the works of the law, no flesh. No person shall be justified by the works of the law. Galatians 2.20. The life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. But he also uses the flesh in terms of man's desires, which we need to understand they stand in contrast in the scripture to God's desires for us. Okay? And, and, and the use here is, is closely connected to man's sinful nature. And some of the passages we see just in Galatians, in Galatians 3, verse 3, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? 
Galatians 4.29, but as he who was born according to the flesh, talking about Ishmael, Hagar, remember that in chapter 4? Ishmael and Isaac, the promised son. As he's born, as he was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Galatians 5.13, do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Tell me, church, how does one love another apart from the power of the Holy Spirit living in them? So what's being contrasted here truly is flesh and spirit. Flesh and spirit. We see Galatians 4.23, but as he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. How did, that, how did that birth come about? It came about through man's desire, sinful desire. We need to do something. Um, we're getting too old. We need to make sure we do this. Here, have my maidservant. That's how that all came about. It's Abraham, Sarah. He of the free woman came through the promise We see the flesh and the promise being contrasted. Well, Galatians 5.16 says to walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The flesh here is the sinful nature that dwells within us and will continue to reside. Listen, it's going to continue to reside for as long as we have these bodily receptacles. That's the bad news. The good news is God's already done something through Jesus Christ to render powerless that sin in us. The cross. He's already, read Romans 6. And and you can read Romans 8, Romans 6, 7, and 8 for that matter. Uh, They're very helpful in this context of what we're talking about here in Galatians 5. You see, before you know Christ, you operate only and always according to the lust of the flesh. Did you know that? Before you come to know Christ, before you have Christ in you, you operate only and always according to the way of the flesh. Ephesians chapter 2 says that the life that we once lived, we were dead in our trespasses, right? We all once conducted ourselves. Listen to what he says. We all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Romans 6, verses 20 and 21 says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You were free (laughs) in regard to righteousness. There was no competing going on inside of you. What fruit did you have then in the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. The wages of sin is what? Death. Should it surprise us then when we hear reports in the news about the wickedness and the perversity and the unbridled sin that's sweeping across our land? I'm sure many of you heard the reports this week in France. Awful. Tragic. How people, how, how people can think that it's okay to get in a truck filled with explosives and drive it through a place where they're going to kill people. That's the kind of thing that's happening in our country today. It seems like it just keeps spiraling. We keep hearing these reports. 
when you're a slave to sin and you don't have the spirit of Christ in you, wickedness and perversity are the results. We are seeing a large measure of ungodliness and unrighteousness in our day. Which, by the way, I believe are precursors to the return of Jesus Christ. And say, Amen. And come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But these are precursors. See, the lust of the flesh and the desires of the flesh and of the mind, what we're seeing around us is really off the charts wickedness going on. That's not entirely the surprise, though. See, the natural man is going to act, and he's going to talk, and he's going to think like a natural man. Corinthians chapter 2 and 3 talks about this. But the spiritual man, the one who has the Holy Spirit in him, this is the one who's supposed to act and talk and think differently. Because of the Spirit of God in him, he has been given the power to live godly in this present age. He's been given the power to effectively mortify sin by putting off the deeds of darkness and live as an adopted child of God ought to live in Christ by putting on, as the Bible says, the armor of light. Galatians 6.17 provides further understanding on the flesh and the Holy Spirit says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish. Now reading verse 17 helps you understand why verse 16 is so important. When you walk in the spirit, you cannot at the same time be walking in the flesh. They're contrary to one another. They, listen, they don't walk together. They share no commonalities. And in just a minute, we're going to see from the text some examples of the works of the flesh contrasted with the fruit of the Spirit. The results are not even close. They produce two entirely different products. Did you see that as you read the list? There's, there's nothing in common in those lists. So keep on walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul says. And some of you might be thinking, keep on walking in the Spirit, ongoing, day by day. Is that really what he's after? Is that what he's talking about? Well, I don't know about that. All the time? I mean, there's some some times in my day when I just, I'm going to use the word, I just don't feel like walking that way. If you are in Christ, you need to understand something. You have been gifted with the promised Holy Spirit who abides with you, the Bible says. In fact, this is another supplemental scripture. Read John 14, 15, and 16. Give you some wonderful background on identity of the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, you've been gifted with the promised Holy Spirit. Listen, who abides with you forever. Forever. 
He never leaves you. He's with you now full time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He doesn't go on vacation. He's never going to sleep in and fail to be with you on certain occasions. The power that raised Jesus from the dead resides inside the one who has trusted Christ as his Savior. Think about that for just one moment. The power that raised up Christ from the dead is available to me in Christ Jesus. That kind of power. That resurrection power. If the Bible calls you to walk continually, habitually in the Holy Spirit, do you believe, this is a question that we need to come to terms with, do you believe it's possible to do so? I'm not asking if you can be a perfect person. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking if you believe God's word. Do you believe by faith that God's word is true and that you can, through the power available in the person of the Holy Spirit abiding in you, can you keep walking in the spirit producing fruit that pleases God? Do you believe that? You see, there was a day when you did all the things that you wished. There was a day when you did things that you wanted to do. Now, praise God, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you and he is only pointing you toward the things of Jesus. Think about how marvelous this is. You and I, in Christ, we have someone given to us The love of Christ, in fact, it says, has been poured out in our hearts by the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have someone in us who is only always pointing us to Jesus and his truth. Full time. That's that's what he does full time. He doesn't do anything else. That's all he does. He points us to the way of truth in Christ Jesus. Church, I think we've got a lot to praise God for. He's given us someone who by default, the Holy Spirit's default is always guiding, pointing, teaching, leading to the things of Christ. So what's that mean in our lives? That means when our lives don't line up with the words of Christ the actions of Christ, the mind of Christ. How then are we operating? You answer the question. We're not operating in the spirit, but we're operating in the flesh. See, before you had the spirit in you, you didn't think much of the things of Jesus. Godliness wasn't on your radar. But now, things have changed. Praise God. Things have changed. You've put off, biblical terminology, right? 
You've put off the old man with his fleshly desires and you have put on the new man who is being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, the old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. What is it that makes you a new creation? Have you ever thought about that? I know what the Bible says about I'm supposed to be a new creation. Do you know what it is that makes you a new creation in Christ? The power of the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit in you makes you a new creation. He is renewing you. He is sanctifying you. See, the change inside is intended to bring about a change on the outside. And one of the things that's hard, one of the fuzzy pictures, unfortunately, that gets painted by the church today in the world we live in, the world's looking at the church and not seeing the change on the outside. The change on the outside comes as we're changed on the inside. When the change on the outside isn't happening, it says something about what's really going on on the inside. I believe that what's happening when we're sending mixed signals as a Christ follower, we are, the Bible says that we're not to do this, by the way. We're not to quench the spirit, right? If the spirit is always only pointing us to Christ, always only leading us in his path, in his way, and we choose to go another way as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus... Are we not quenching the spirit in us? When we take part in immorality of various kinds with our bodies, have we lost sight of the fact that the Holy Spirit is residing, this body that we have is a temple where he resides? See, when Christ is in you, there are certain things that are just not appropriate. Amen? Would you agree with that? When you're in Christ, there are certain things that are just not appropriate. And the things that you used to do will no longer seem as appealing when the Spirit of Christ is in you. Remember, the flesh and the Spirit are contrary to one another. The flesh relies upon old habits and prior memories. The Spirit is grounded in Christ, speaking the words of Christ, guiding into truth, teaching about Jesus. The flesh isn't interested in pointing you to Jesus. And as bad as that sounds, not pointing you to Jesus, what's worse is who the flesh points you to. Self. Me. Me. You see, the flesh is really good about promoting you. Have you caught the messages that are swirling around today in our world? All the messages that you seem to hear, they come back to you. 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 Oh, it's about you. No, it's not. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are we here? We're here to give him glory and to enjoy him. Not to have a, 
a fantasy-ridden, pleasure-filled life. And the Holy Spirit, listen, this is what's really hard. When we come to terms with the role of the Holy Spirit in us, we're talking about walking in the Spirit. And he's talking about being led by the Spirit. I wonder if we really truly want to be and desire to be led by the Spirit. The flesh serves the self and helps one walk that well-worn path to become what the Bible says, a lover of self. A lover of self. We live in the day where there are many who are lovers of themselves. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Listen, one of the most difficult battles with the flesh is that it appeals to what you like to do. It appeals to what you like to do. Uh, See, this is so important because it feeds an appetite that you've been used to feeding for a long, long time. That's what the flesh does. And the enjoyment and the pleasures that you once had feeding your own pleasures, the flesh isn't ready anytime soon to give those up. On the other hand, you have the Spirit of God in you if you are in Christ. He's sent in collaboration with the Father and the Son. Listen, a promised gift of God in Jesus, this gift has to be good. Amen? The Father and the Son collaborate on give the Spirit. Anything God gives is good. And Jesus said that this promised gift was going to be another counselor. He's deemed a teacher and a spirit of truth. And he's going to guide you down the path of righteousness and see that you're walking in holiness. He's concerned that you begin looking more and more like the one that the spirit himself is glorifying. Who's the spirit glorifying? Christ. So through Christ, you've been given all the equipment that you need to live a life of godliness. It's been made possible through the gift of the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power, Spirit, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The charge here in Galatians is to make it a habit. To walk in the Spirit, walk in the power of the Spirit. The context tells us that the flesh and the spirit are contrary so that you do not do the things that you wish. Now, when you desire to walk in the spirit, the flesh isn't going to willingly bow out and give up. He doesn't leave the scene once the Holy Spirit is in you. He's rendered powerless because of what Christ accomplished at the cross, but he's still hanging on in that earthen tent of yours, and he's just waiting for the opportunity to relive what he would deem the golden days. Each morning you wake up, the Spirit is pointing you toward the things of the Lord. You know, if you're in Christ, you know you should read your Bible on this particular day. If you're in Christ, you know that you should spend time alone in prayer in the secret place with the Father. If you're in Christ, you know that his word ought to be hidden in your heart. You know these things. But then there's the work of the flesh going on. 
And subtle though it may be, the flesh is most concerned about carrying out its familiar work, pleasing self. And in the process of pleasing self, the flesh is also countering the work of the Spirit. Because the Bible tells us that we cannot have two masters. We are either sowing to the flesh or sowing to the Spirit. Church, who are you sowing to this morning? The flesh or the Spirit? Listen, one reaps of the flesh, which leads to destruction. And the other reaps results of the Spirit, leading to everlasting life. That's what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Another example occurs when you are tempted to perhaps turn on the TV or sit aimlessly before a video screen, surfing the net, playing a video game. See, before you came to saving faith in Jesus, you used to take great delight in screen time. Mindless, wandering, aimless, sitting before a screen, going who knows where, wherever the buttons take you. You were consumed in it, truth, truth be told. And now you're confronted with going right back to the pigsty that you once lived in. The flesh is ready to go. He's ready to go. But now there's a problem if you're in Christ. You see, what the flesh is ready to do... The spirit in you wants nothing to do with. And as you begin to make progress toward the old habit, the spirit's work in you is going to, here's another role of the Holy Spirit, convict you. The Holy Spirit is going to convict you. How many of you have felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit when you were beginning to walk a path contrary to the word of God? Anybody? Anybody ever felt convicted by the Holy Spirit? Yeah, most of us in here have been convicted and felt that conviction. The follow-up question is, what'd you do with it? Did you keep going that way of the flesh? Or did you turn course and obey the truth of the Scripture? You see, those are pivotal moments. The Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin. What are we doing when he's convicting us of sin? How do we respond when he convicts us of sin? The Spirit is going to bring to your attention what Christ did to free you from sin. And he's going to call you to walk as a new creation that you were made to be. Remember, it's faith working through love that matters and avails much. It's it's a new creation that avails much. Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Galatians 5, 18. There's two aspects here I'd like to speak to briefly. Being led by the Spirit and not being under the law. First, being led by the Spirit. Let me ask you a plain question here. Do you really desire to be led by the Holy Spirit? Verse 16 exhorts us to walk as a pattern, ongoing, In the Spirit. Verse 18 causes us to ask whether we are being led by the Spirit. Francis Chan, in his book, The Forgotten God, subtitled Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit, he writes these words. He says, When it comes down to it, many of us do not really want to be led by the Holy Spirit. 
Or more fundamentally, many of us don't want to be led by anyone other than ourselves. He goes on, he says, the truth is that the spirit of the living God is guaranteed to ask you to go somewhere or do something you wouldn't normally want or choose to do. The spirit will lead you to the way of the cross as he led Jesus to the cross. And that is definitely not a safe or pretty or comfortable place to be. He says the Holy Spirit of God will mold you into the person you were created to be. The Holy Spirit, I'm going to read that again. The Holy Spirit of God will mold you into the person you were created to be. This often incredibly painful process strips you of selfishness, pride, and fear. So let me ask you, do you desire to be led by the Spirit? Do you desire to be led by the Spirit? Keep in mind the passage Mark read this morning, John 3. One of the characteristics of the Spirit. It's like the wind, You feel the effect of the wind coming and hitting you and blowing your hair if you have any hair. It's coming, you feel it, and you know that it's going that way, but you don't know where it's ending. You feel the effect of it. You recognize the effect of it. But there's somewhat of a mystery because you can't see where it's coming from. You can't see where it's going. Being led by the Spirit might mean you have to give up control. Being led by the Spirit might mean you forfeit your own plans for what God would want for you. You can rest assured that whatever plans He has for you are far better than any plans that you yourself have made. He only gives good gifts. Are you being led by the Spirit? If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Boy... If we had a lot more time, it'd be fun to go back into some of this. But, you know, Galatians 3, 11 and 12, Paul gives us some understanding of what it is to be under the law. He says, no one's justified by the law in the sight of God. It's evident. For the just, he says, shall live by faith. And he says, the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. A chapter later in chapter 4, 23 to 25, he says, before faith came, we were kept under guard... By the law, this is chapter 3, not chapter 4. Kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to whom? To Christ, that we might be what? Justified by faith. Not by the law, but by faith. But after faith, so before faith came, and now after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. There's no need for a tutor. See, in Galatians 3, Paul makes it very clear how the Spirit of God is revealed. And the Spirit isn't received by works of the law. Instead, it's by the hearing of faith. And he gives the example of Abraham. Back in Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as what? Righteousness. He's the father of the faith. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Paul tells us in Romans that Christ, in fact, was the end of the law. The the purpose of the law, according to Galatians 3.19, is that it was added because of what? Why was the law added? It was added because of our transgressions, right? That's what the Bible says. 
It was added because of our transgressions until the seed, capital S. Until the seed should come. Has the seed come? He's come. Yeah, he's come. Until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Until Christ should come, we were under the law. He's come now. There's no need for a tutor to take us to Christ. Christ has come. On the other side of the cross, we see Acts 2, Pentecost, Holy Spirit comes. We're not under the law. The law was added because of our sins. Listen, Christ, who is the seed, he came and he did something about those sins, didn't he? Huh? Psalm 32 verse 1 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. See, our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Christ, who is the seed, he came to save his people from their sins. And we are no longer, therefore, under the confines of the law. The spirit in us now leads us in the way of Christ. We can walk in freedom now because Christ has set us free. That's Galatians 5 verse 1. He set us free once for all at the cross. And so if you're led by the Spirit, it begs a question, both for Paul's immediate audience and for us here today. Are you being led by the Spirit? Are you still operating as though you were under the law? If you're being led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Look with me just for a moment, because I think there's a connection here. If you look at the end of verse 22, after the, the list of fruit of the Spirit... And it says, this little, little verse, little phrase here, against such there is no law. You know, a close inspection of the works of the flesh pitted against the fruit of the Spirit will lead you to the end of verse 23. Tell me, when you look at the works of the flesh in 19 through 21, any of these against the law? If you committed some of these in this list, would these be deemed against the law today? Sure they would. Absolutely they would. Does the law forbid the practice of any of the items in verses 19 through 21? Yes, absolutely it does. Now tell me about the fruit of the Spirit. Any law against loving someone? Any law against being joyful? Any law against being patient with one another? We go down the list. Let's just go all, all nine of them. Any law against any of those? If you're led by the Spirit, you need to know that you're not under the law. And against these nine fruit listed of the Spirit, there is no law. Walk, therefore, in the Spirit. Go back to verse 16. Walk. Make it a pattern to walk in the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now, I just briefly want to mention the the lists. I'm not doing a deep dive in each one of these, in each of the lists. Okay? That's not our time this morning. But I do want to make a quick word about the lists that are being contrasted in 19 through 23. The works of the flesh, it says, are evident. They're evident. They're observable. They're easy to spot. They're noticeable. All too often we see some of these works of the flesh paraded in the news, don't we? Someone killing someone, someone having an extramarital relationship with someone else, 
someone who takes pleasure in fulfilling himself no matter what it might cost the other person, defrauding another, as the Bible would put it. I want you to see, though, that the works of the flesh are not confined to big-ticket sexual items. It's true that those items had the list in verse 19, but they don't consume the list. I'd like to draw your attention to a, a few that might surprise you being on the list. Idolatry. Contentions. Jealousies. Outbursts of wrath. Outbursts of wrath. Not, not a continual life of wrath. Just outbursts of wrath. Periodic. Envy. See, these, these five that are just listed are all under the umbrella of works of the flesh that are evident. And they're contrary to the fruit of the Spirit. If you run through the list of 19 through 21, you, you can quickly contrast it with a fruit in 22 and 23, at least one or more fruit. Idolatry. Idolatry. On the other end of idolatry, we could put faithful. Faithfulness. Idolatry, setting up something else or someone else alongside God. God said, there are no other gods before me. Are you faithful and loyal to the God that you serve? Contentions. How about kindness? How about love? Are you contentious? Are you always arguing and bickering with someone else to get your way? Maybe the fruit of the Spirit that you need to look at here this morning is showing kindness one to another. Exhibiting the love that Christ has shown toward you at the cross. Or jealousies. You're jealous about something someone has. And you're jealous you don't have it. How about having and exhibiting a peace? Which really goes hand in hand with being content with what the Lord's given you, isn't it? Outbursts of wrath. I think it's hopefully pretty obvious what the contrary is to that one. Self-control. Envy. Envy and jealousy are, are closely connected. Jealousy is probably the lower level of the two if you were to put them on a level. Jealousy is looking and, and you know, what someone else has and wishing you had it. Envy is going a step further and essentially wanting to take what they have so you can have it. Again, I would put forth love and self-control. Not envy. Don't miss the end of verse 21 either in these lists. Don't miss the end of verse 21. It's important. Those who practice such things, the works of the flesh. Those who practice. Remember we talked about in verse 16, we're to make it a habit. We're to practice walking in the spirit. He says in verse 21, those who practice, those who make a habit of works of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're practicing the things listed in 19 through 21, I want you to know that you will not 
inherit the kingdom of God. I hope and pray that as that's put forth, there's a desire on everyone's part to inherit the kingdom of God. To be with Jesus in a place the Bible calls heaven. To even right now be living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you might come every Sunday. You might give a tenth of your income each month to the Lord's cause. But if you make a habit of practicing the works of the flesh, you're going to miss out on Christ as your inheritance in the heavenly city. It's going to be like Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, away from me, I never knew you. If this is what you practice. Practically speaking, as we look at this passage, we're, we're at work here on earth over the course of a lifetime. Essentially what we're doing is we're exchanging one set of habits for another, aren't we? Now, of course, we don't on our own ever decide to change them. But the Holy Spirit in us renovates our heart and mind. He speaks up against the course of the flesh and convicts us of our sin. He also leads us and he teaches us and he guides us in the way of the Lord Jesus. He makes it possible for us to bear fruit for the kingdom. His spirit in us. And while it goes unspoken in the immediate text, I believe that the kingdom of God is waiting for the one who bears fruit. Characterized by the Holy Spirit's presence and power operating in them. John 15 verse 5, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears what? Much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Without me you can do nothing, Jesus says. A few verses later he says, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So fruit bearing is evidence of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Look at 524. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is added to the fact that against such there is no law at the end of 23. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh. Now, the one who is writing this, moved by the Spirit, is one whose ministry is centered in the cross. We need to understand this about Paul. He has a ministry that is absolutely centered in the cross of Jesus Christ. Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 are great places to turn. But he says the message of the cross is the power of God for us who are being saved. In chapter 1 verse 23 of Corinthians he says, We preach Christ crucified. In in Corinthians chapter 2 verse 2 he says, I determined not to know among you, Corinth, anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We see evidence even in here in the book of Galatians. The message of the cross and the crucified life. It's easy to spot as you read the six chapters of Galatians. In Galatians 2.20, the familiar verse, probably one of the verses in the book of Galatians that we're most familiar with. And Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, not by the works of the law. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Speaking to the cross. 
In Galatians 6, 14, the last chapter of the book, he says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Listen, I believe that the word choice in 524, when he says those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh. There's no mistake in the use of that word. It's describing the one who's drawn to Christ through the power of the Spirit. Characteristic of the child of God is that he has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. To crucify is to kill, to put to death. What has been crucified, the flesh, is intended to remain crucified. Think of it this way. Walking in the Spirit is called for on a regular habit-forming basis. When you believed and received Jesus as your Savior, you participated with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection. And the Bible teaches that just as Christ died, so did you. Just as Christ was buried, so were you. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, so are you. Once dead, now alive. And the fact of verse 24 is wonderful news. Those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The ongoing reality is that while residing in this earthen tent, the flesh and its desires remain, don't they? They have been crucified. But we also need to remember they have also been rendered powerless through Christ's shed blood and cleansing work at the cross. The gift of the Spirit empowers us now to live out daily what is already true of us as an adopted, adopted child of the Father. See, this is one of the fantastic roles of the Holy Spirit. While it's great to know what has happened to the sin in our lives through the cross... There's the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday living that, for many of us, snare us up, don't they? Day after day, day after day. It's the Holy Spirit's abiding power and presence in us that enables us to experience and know what is already true. You see, the issue for many followers of Jesus isn't knowing what Christ did. If I asked some of you young people this morning, what did Christ do for you? I'm fairly certain you could say, Christ died for my sins at the cross. I'm fairly certain you could recite that, that you know that. The issue for many is how to keep walking in the Spirit when everything around me points me away from Jesus and the truth of the gospel. How do I do this? The issue for a good number of Christians is how to habitually walk in the Spirit when things don't go my way. Look at these last two verses. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit and let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Notice, he says, if we, 25 and 26, conclude with first person plural. And a lot of times, if we can also have the idea or the connotation of since we. He's just talked about a fact of being Christ's, of crucified the flesh. Against the fruit of the Spirit, there is no law. 
It's almost like since, if we live in the Spirit, but since we live in the Spirit, since this is true of us, since this is the fact, let us also walk in the Spirit. Since it is true what great things Christ has done for us in regard to the flesh, let's do this together. Notice the word walk. I want to draw this distinction out. I'm not going to belabor it, but I want to put it forward. Walk in verse 16 is different than walk in verse 25. It's translated walk in English. But walk in in verse 16 has in mind living, a a pattern for how we live. Walking here in verse 25 is a a different word. It's a a word that has in mind uh, walking in formation, walking in a straight line, something we do together. It's a military term. You think about a military, a group of soldiers, and they're marching. Now, when the soldiers are marching together, they better walk together. Soldiers, by nature, when they're walking and when they're marching, they're doing so in unison. They're doing it together. You don't see a military group just kind of walking, hanging out, however they want to do it. There's discipline there, isn't it? That's the word that comes to mind. Since we live in the Spirit, having the Spirit in us, let us also walk in a straight line, together, in the Spirit. Let's, let's move and walk in a definite line, together. This is present tense as well, which is calling for continual habitual action. We're to do this ongoing, habit-forming, walking together, moving together. How? In the Spirit. Thinking as one, speaking as one, raising up Christ together as one body, desiring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Let us walk out together what Christ made possible through the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit. Let us walk together in the Spirit. The same Spirit in you is leading you and guiding you just like the Spirit in person over here is leading them and guiding them. The Spirit in you is pointing you to Christ. The Spirit in you is pointing you to Christ. The Spirit in you, we could go all the way down the road. The Spirit in you is always only pointing to the things of Christ. That's why we have all of these fractions all over the place, denominations you want to call them. People are pointing and lifting up other things. But if the body of Christ is doing what the Word's called us to do, we have our eyes set on one. It's Christ. And we walk together in the Spirit, in the way of Christ. That walking together shows the world what God really did in sending his son Jesus. That's John 17. Let's walk together that the world might see a unity in Christ. A unity in Christ. Not a unity in a creed. Not a unity in a denominational stance. Not a unity in a certain style of worship. Not in anything that detracts from the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk together. Keep in step with the Spirit. If we're walking together in the Spirit in this military formation, we will not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Listen, verse 25 calls us to walk together in the Spirit. And verse 26 is a warning of what happens when the body of Christ isn't walking in line with one another. 
bitterness, some thinking of themselves more highly than they ought, conceited, right, haughty, envying others who have certain gifts or talents perhaps, eyes are on each other instead of Christ. We're called to fix our eyes on Jesus and through love serve one another. Remember that the outward trappings avail nothing, but faith working through love, a new creation, those are the things that avail much. I leave you with these words in John 16, 14. Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit just before he goes to the cross. And he's speaking of the Spirit. And Jesus says that he, the Spirit, he will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit's role is to glorify Christ. He's going to take of what's Christ and he's going to declare it to you, he says to his disciples and to us, followers of Jesus. Francis Chan in his book says that a sure sign that the Holy Spirit's working is that Christ is magnified and not people. Sure sign that, that, a sure sign that the Spirit's working is that Christ is magnified and not people. Anchored living spends its days seeing that the name and work of Jesus is exalted wherever we go. And when that happens, it's a sure indicator of the body of Christ in military formation, if you will, walking together in the power of the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful picture. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. By your spirit, I pray we would walk together in the spirit. Father, I pray that we would know the schemes of the evil one. Know the the role of the flesh that it's had, the, the, the pull and the tug in our lives and understand its place. Understand the world that we live in and the pull and the draw there. There are many things against us in this world. But Father, greater is he who is in us and is in the world. We thank you for the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, the power who was at work in raising the Son from the dead. That same power is at work within those of us who are Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that You've you've crucified the flesh with all its passions and desires through what you did through your son at the cross. Help us each day to mortify the flesh. And we do that, Lord, only through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a working together. But it's definitely not a passive work on our end. We don't just sit back. May we walk diligently in the spirit and desire not the things of the flesh. I pray, Lord, that we would desire to please you. And we know that in desiring to please you, we cannot, must not walk in the flesh because the Bible tells us that in doing so, we can't please you. So, Father, we ask for your leadership through your spirit and that we would, when we're convicted of the sin that's either happened or is about to happen as we are considering walking in that old way, Oh, Lord, I pray that we would listen, be attentive, and turn and repent 
and in turn in faith to you and be about living a life of repentance. A life that bears good fruit, abundant fruit for your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.